Hey, what's up? Hello, everybody. Alex Kapitko here, and this is the Centered from Reality podcast. Man, I just got back from a one, uh, run. Sorry, I'm sweating like crazy. It is quite warm out, but it looks like some thunder bumpers are coming in. I, I kind of want a good thunderstorm tonight. I like being up at night just watching like crazy lightning. Kind of fun. Anyways, I can't believe it's already August. Uh, this summer has been kind of weird, honestly, but I guess it's flown by, even though it also kind of feels like it's gone slow. I don't know. Happy August, I guess. Um, it's, it's crazy to think it was a year ago that I was out here in Chicago uh, for the first time, just exploring um, and trying to find a place to live. Time just is insane. Um, anyways, I have a lot to talk about today, so let's get after it. First, I just wanted to express my anger at the Democratic Party because I mentioned this before, but in, in states, say, like Pennsylvania, you had Shapiro running, running against Mastriano now for governor. Mastriano has made it clear that he pretty much would cause a constitutional crisis if he became governor of Pennsylvania, picking his own slate of electors. He would nominate the secretary of state, who obviously would believe that Democrat votes could be fraudulent. It would be chaotic, to say the least. And the Democrats kind of helped almost get Mastriano to be the nominee for the Republican side because their vision is that the crazier candidate would be easier for their candidate to beat in the general election. The problem is that I think MAGA is a lot stronger than people think, and the Stop the Steal movement is quite popular with Republicans. So the problem is, is that if you have an unpopular Democrat against a crazy Republican, it doesn't mean they're going to beat this crazy Republican. And at the end of the day, you might have someone like Mastriano becoming the next governor of a swing state in a very contested and controversial upcoming election. And that is terrifying. And so I don't know why the Democrats want the crazier candidate to run against, because as we've seen, the crazy candidate can beat the milquetoast candidate. Just look at Trump versus Hillary. And that's happening in Michigan, too. You have a crazy candidate whose name I, I can't think of at the moment running against Peter Meyer, who's a really smart, honestly great Republican who I'm a huge fan of. Um, he voted to impeach Trump, but now has kind of been bullied in the silence. Um, so he has a He's, he's running his campaign, and I guess the Democrats want the other person to win. And he has come out and just said this is insane because this MAGA movement wants to almost bring down our democracy, and the Democrats seem to prefer running against them than normal ones. I'd rather have a normal Republican running against a normal Democrat, even if the normal Democrat loses, than having a crazy one. So I don't know. I don't know what the Democrats are doing, but I don't think it's going to work. In other news... Obviously, the Democrats this week have the chance to validate um, their monopoly on power and maybe even create a legacy for Biden if they can pass this Inflation Act that Joe Manchin finally is on board with. The problem is Kirsten Sinema has been quite quiet about it. And as we know, she can be a pain in the ass as well. So she is always a question mark. This week, I think it's today or tomorrow, they're all going to be back in, back in Congress again. And so Joe Manchin is going to try to lobby her, and uh, she's, she's always a wild card. You never know. But I really hope that she goes along with this at this point because they, they truthfully need it. Also on just a funny note, I, I guess um, I, I just saw this while I was getting ready. There's an unnamed traveler who I think was going from Indonesia to Australia, and he was handed – got a loud vehicle, sorry – Looks like, okay, we're good. But there was an Indonesian going to Australia, and he was fined about $1,800 after he didn't declare an egg and beef McMuffin sandwich and a ham croissant from McDonald's. 
and they were found in his luggage when he arrived at the Darwin Airport in the North Territory last week. And they tested out, I guess, their new tracking technology and busted the guy. So I guess you have to declare your egg McMuffin unless you want to pay about $2,000. <laughs> um, anyways, I, I want to talk about unhinged Trump and what his platform would maybe look like if he was to run, which I think he will. Then I want to talk about monkeypox. And I also want to talk about how language has been corrupted by politics and trying to be perfect and political correctness and how it's actually made it hard to get things done and to get action done. But first, let's talk about Trump. So I'm not going to stay on this long, but it looks like Trump um, may have shown us, I guess, what his platform would look like if he runs. And it's not good. It seems even crazier than in, what, 2016 or 2020. Uh, <laughs> course he's running a third time basically uh so last week he went back to dc and it's kind of crazy it's the first time he's been in dc since his little coup attempt um his little coup issue and he spoke for the america excuse me for the america first institute which is one of those new think tanks that the america first national conservative movement created that i talked about a few weeks ago and man he shot out of a cannon trump was just um it kind of seems like we've seen Trump in his final form. He's, he's really into his final form. It's the end of the summer. Midterms are coming up. He's bitter. He just, he's just uh, off of a Saudi Arabia-funded golf course. I mean, this guy's really busy, man. And, of course, he focused on fear, talking about drugs, lunatics on the streets. American cities are like war zones. There's, there's sadistic evil people preying on kids. Teachers are grooming your students. I mean, just, just about everything possible to really stoke fear. And at one point, he said in quotes, we have blood, death, and suffering on a scale once unthinkable because of the Democrat Party's effort to destroy and dismantle law enforcement all throughout the United States. Our country is going to hell. And of course, as we've talked about the rising Christian nationalism, going to hell, probably some people are going to take seriously and really be terrified about so it's a really nice and rosy family message, right? Nice place to bring the kids out for a fun, fun weekend uh, rally, really with some uplifting information. So fear is uh, definitely part of his platform. If you didn't know that already, you've been probably living under a rock for a decade now, but Trump's obviously a fear monger. Um, also uh, at this speech, uh, grievance was definitely part of it. Like most of his speeches, you know, he's the biggest victim in American history. No one's persecuted anyone else as bad as him. You know, it's pretty much poor Trump just, just trying to do the best he can. He's just a good guy who wanted to save the country, and everyone's out to get him. And what worries me about his kind of constant grievance stuff about the election and Russiagate and all this stuff is that there's, there's a lot of people, like, I, I think it appeals to people a lot because some of the MAGA base also feels this victimhood, whether it's real or not, so they also see in Trump a guy who will fight for them. So, yeah, it, that stuff always kind of confuses me as well. And some other notable um, runner-up moments during Trump's speech was that he, he mentioned that drug dealers should be killed. Um, yeah, he said that, so that's nice. Um, really not how we usually run justice in the United States. Also, it's pretty barbaric. Um, also, it kind of neglects... A lot of the small-time drug dealers, a lot of the war on drugs issues, but you know we don't we don't like nuance, so we won't worry about that. Um, but it, it does sound very Rodrigo Duterte in the Philippines type of vibes, which is not really what I want to live under. But you know, I, Trump's just getting more insane. 
He also uh, talked about how he wants to move homeless people out of cities and basically put them in camps outside the city limits. I'm paraphrasing, but that was basically what he said. And I'm, I'm first off, just not really sure how that would work. But also, it would just not be productive, I don't think. Also, it would just be kind of authoritarian and draconian and probably just illegal. I mean, but of course, his, his, his uh, audience loved it. Um, you know, it sounds great, especially if you're afraid that the cities are s- sadistic hellholes, right? So happy stuff, happy stuff. He really, he really has a nice message of hope in all of his speeches, much like Reagan, you know, much like Reagan's message of hope and optimism. Trump really is good at that as well. Um, anyways, I will move on because I don't want to focus too much on Trump today, but uh, if this guy gets reelected, you know, he seems like he's going to be even angrier and more authoritarian than last time, so not what I not what I hope for. Moving on, though, bear with me a moment. But if you're not from, I guess if you're not from California, bear with me for a moment. But I just wanted to mention that there is another giant fire occurring there right now. Um, as I'm sure most of you are aware, uh, California is typically on fire for about half the year. It's getting worse. Obviously, millions of people are you know in danger of fires now. Smoke is atrocious. Uh, that's probably the only thing I don't miss about being uh, back in the Tahoe area for the summer is the smoke that usually starts in July and stays until like October. So I don't miss that at all. But there's a giant fire now called the McKinney Fire, and it's the largest one of the year. Um, it seems like about every year there's a fire that's bigger than the previous year's fire. As I recall, like every summer, it's like biggest fire in California history. And you're like, oh, well. And then there's another fire that says, hold my beer, you know, fun stuff. But CNN writes in quotes here, a wildfire in Northern California that exploded in size over the weekend has killed at least two people, forced thousands to evacuate, and grown into the state's largest wildfire this year, with lightning Monday threatening its further expansion. The McKinney fire broke out Friday afternoon in the Klamath National Forest near the California-Oregon border and has since ripped through more than 52,000 acres. That's a lot. And on Sunday, from all I have seen, the fire is 0%. Obviously, today's Monday, but I haven't seen that it's, it's uh, been contained. And it's one of those fires also that can uh, generate its own weather in the form of those pyrocumulus clouds, where literally it's like its own climate inside of it just because of the amount of heat. Pretty, pretty insane stuff. Um, just look it up online. They, they're pretty wild. Sometimes, you know, they get those uh, fire tornadoes going on, too. Um, Wish, I, I just wish the firefighters best, because that's just terrifying work. I can't even imagine. Um, it's just quite apocalyptic. And, you know, I, I guess in a broader sense, this is just another symptom of the West's historic drought, which is getting worse, and it's been exasperated by climate change. I don't know if you guys have ever looked up what Lake Powell in Utah looks like right now, or Lake Mead in Nevada looks like right now. I mean, they are bleak bleak you know they've they've been declining for years but now it's like past the point of no return um i i I heard you know stories from my mom growing up in the vegas area and she they used to go to lake mead to go you know water skiing and all that stuff and it's probably going to be difficult to do that soon if you even can i don't know but not not good and cnn also mentions that more than two million people are under red flag warnings right now in parts of northern california central oregon eastern washington montana Eastern Wyoming, Western South Dakota, and Northwestern Nebraska. So, yeah, um, it makes you really think about where you want to live. And, you know, not to be Debbie Downer here, but, yeah, I mean, the U.S. 
and most of the world is really getting hit here. You know, um, Bill Maher did a great segment this week on his new rules at the end of the episode, uh, and he talked about how, you know, there's some people like Matthew Iglesias and Elon Musk who say we need to have more people, and it's great to see the growth, and the U.S. needs a billion people. And Bill Maher's like, fuck no, we don't. We need we need less people. Like, obviously, in the short term, we're going to have, like, one of those Social Security uh, inverse pyramid issues, and we're going to have issues like Japan with population decline. But would you rather have to adjust to population decline or have too many people and not enough resources and not enough space and fires? You know, uh, it's, it's a good segment. And I would probably agree that the more people we have, the worse this is going to get. But... And again, I, I'm not an expert on that, and I don't really know how that happens. So anyways, I want to focus the main part of this, uh, the remainder of this, on monkeypox. Uh, kind of two, two segments here of monkeypox. First, talking about the failures of our system, the actual specifics of what's happening right now. And then I want to talk about the politics of language and why using politically correct terminology on both sides of the aisle is pointless and it actually causes us to have issues relating ideas with people and getting things done and it's pointless and unproductive so first off do you guys remember when people said we would learn lessons from covid you know after we messed up so badly at the beginning they're like this was a dress rehearsal for the first pandemic hopefully we've learned our lesson blah 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 you know we had inadequate testing low vaccination and somehow we're still having that problem to the day. Um, well, it looks like this monkeypox pandemic, epidemic, whatever you want to call it, is following the same path. And it looks like we've learned nothing. And maybe you're even worse off, if that's possible. A few days ago, The Economist reported that the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, um, reported nearly 18,000 cases worldwide. And about 3,850 of them are in America, so close to 4,000. They do think that number is probably way under what is actually happening in the United States right now, which would not surprise me. And the World Health Organization has declared it a public health emergency of international concern. And I will add that this is actually pretty shocking just because back in June, um, there were like 80, I think there was 86 cases in the, in the United States. And people were like, this could be a problem, but it just doesn't seem to be spreading enough. So it's safe to say that, you know, we haven't really managed this too well. And from what I've gathered, the government and public health response has pretty much just been awful. And it's just not gone well. And back when I mentioned the rising issue in May, I think it was in May where they really started sounding the alarm about something wrong. I mentioned that the smallpox vaccine uh, works well with monkeypox. It had been shown to pretty much trigger the same response. And at the time... It was assumed that the United States had about 2 million doses of the smallpox vaccine in storage. And this was mainly in case of a terror attack, right? You never know if you're going to have a biological terrorist release smallpox. I don't think most Americans have even close to any immunity to it. So it could be a, be a serious problem. Well, <laughs> apparently these 2 million doses we found out are actually expired. So that's always good news. So we can't actually use them anymore. So that put us behind and lowered expectations. Then there's also a facility in Denmark that has some extras as well. And of course, in normal fashion, the FDA took way too many months to approve the 1 million doses that we did finally get. And of course, we're behind Europe. Europe approved it months ago. The FDA, I get why you want safety, but 
at the same time, this like this managerialism of just always needing to be safe can sometimes cost lives, and we need innovation sometimes too. But anyways, that's a whole other rant. But so by the time we got the vaccine, there were a lot of cases, and you know there are antiviral drugs, but not enough, and a lot of clinics are hesitant to give them. Doctors have downplayed it, and they've saved the antivirals for people that could have more serious uh, side effects or serious outcomes from the virus. So really just not good news all around. I've also been reading that testing has been problematic. You would think, but I guess I'm wrong, that after the testing failures of COVID that we would have learned something, right? The Economist writes here in quotes, the CDC already had a monkeypox test and began shipping it to 70 laboratories in its network. But many big cities had only one participating lab and doctors were put off by the paperwork involved in requesting a test. <laughs> that makes sense. And apparently in New York City, one clinic was only doing about 10 tests a day. So I don't even have to explain to you that that was not enough. Also, you know, uh, our federal system gives states a lot of power. And apparently a lot of states are not required to report tests to the CDC. So that's why they are really unsure. And they probably can't order enough tests because they don't know how many tests they need. Also, there's, way, there's likely more cases than 3,800. So it's all fun. And... I guess the only thing I would say that is somewhat optimistic about this right now is that on a bright note, the United States now does have 374,000 uh, cases available, which is like half of the amount they would need in New York City and about 70% of what they would need in DC. So, you know, <laughs> I guess that's good, but it's still not enough. And again, here we are. Here's our government being reactive instead of proactive. Um, I was listening to a podcast this morning, and it mentioned how how surprising, I guess, would be the right word to say this is right after the COVID pandemic, you know. But someone on the podcast did make a good point. They mentioned that it can be argued that our system is actually less prepared and worse off now than before COVID, basically because our public health system has been stripped bare. We're low on supplies and resources. Workers are exhausted. Some have retired. Public trust is low. It's like COVID did everything we hoped it wouldn't, in a sense, and it's still doing it. And I guess when I heard that argument, it's like, it kind of makes sense why we're so, we're, we're kind of so fractured right now in our health responses. COVID really did kind of break it at its core. It, it does make me worry, though, at the same time about what would happen if, say, there was a worse pandemic with a higher death rate. You know, also, also some health officials are worried that it may be too late to get rid of monkeypox, Pox, sorry, so it could be endemic in communities. I also read an article a few weeks ago in The Atlantic, I believe it was, that talked about how squirrels have, have in different places like Africa become a host or at least some sort of vector for monkeypox. And people are worried that if it got into the squirrel population in the United States, much like COVID got into the deer population, that there could be some serious issues and it could be here for a long time. And then it also could become somewhat of a newly sexual transmitted disease, you know, that's here for a long time. So not, not rosy stuff. Uh, and, you know, I, I guess it's good news. There's finally emphasis on it. But I, I, from what I've heard, I think Biden would need to declare a national emergency. So at least they can, they can shore up more funds, which they haven't done yet. But yeah, just another fun part of our chaotic 2020 through 2022 years. <laughs> Moving on, though, I do want to talk about the politics of language and how it kind of can relate to this topic uh, specifically. 
And I want to talk about why I'm furious with how a lot of the left media and the mainstream media and our institutions in the United States have treated this virus. This is kind of where the woke mind seems to have corrupted how we even want to talk about issues. And, you know, I, I know the term woke is used too much, but I, I, think, it's, I think it's fitting for this. But I, but I think um, the policing of language and terms and the fear of saying what you think needs to stop because it really makes it hard to discuss urgent matters. And, you know, disclaimer, I may piss some people off here, but I don't care. <laughs> I really don't. Um, I will start with monkeypox as an example of this, just because it's the most obvious. Um, and just how basically public health officials just seem to be hesitant to say who is at risk of the virus. It's pretty wild. So in July, there's an article from The Atlantic, and it writes in quotes, as monkeypox cases rise in the U.S., public officials are scrambling to balance concerns about stigma, stigmatization with the fact that the disease is largely affecting gay and bisexual men. So guess what the compromise is? So that they don't want to cause a stigma. So instead of saying that monkeypox is mainly affecting gay men and bisexual men, they are saying it, it impacts, in quotes, men who have sex with men. I'm not kidding. And obviously this is not the biggest concern in the world, but I think it could be. And this is what the White House, the CDC, mainstream outlets like the New York Times are saying. And I, I know stigmatizing a community can be a real issue, but I would, I would honestly argue that it's definitely more important to actually call the issue what it is and focus resources and messaging on the actual people that are getting impacted by the virus. Call me crazy. <laughs> um, that same Atlantic article discusses in quotes, in Europe, just 0.2% of the men who had gotten the disease identified as heterosexual. The numbers are similar in New York City as well, end quotes. And just, just to highlight how crazy our country is, The Economist, for example, is a British magazine, and it literally writes that the virus is spread by gay and bisexual men mainly. Mainly. You don't have to say it's only. You can say mainly, but you should be direct. But now if you go to the New York Times, or I was listening to the New York Times Daily this morning, the gal on there said men who have sex with men. And it's just confusing. Just call a spade a spade. We all know what you mean. We're not that stupid, you know? And I thought, I thought the public health officials learned from, say, the AIDS crisis, right? Where at first public messaging downplayed its severity and said that anyone could get it. When in course, of course, sorry, everyone could get it. But during the 80s, it mainly impacted the gay community. And... You sometimes need to focus messaging. God, the honking today is insane. I, I think we should get rid of car horns. Anyways, uh, I want to read this passage from The Atlantic because it is really great and sums all of this up well. It says, On its face, anyone can get monkeypox. That messaging is true. But then it goes on to say, Imagine for a moment that a hurricane is making landfall on your state. You turn on your TV and see the head of FEMA talking about how anyone could be struck by a hurricane and stressing that hurricanes are not Floridians, Floridians' fault. Sure, you might say, but what about the hurricane right now? Who is it most likely to strike? You'd probably be left feeling frustrated, confused, and underprepared. And yeah, it's true. It's not Floridians' fault that hurricanes hit Florida more than, say, Missouri. It's just the fact that that's what happens. So you should probably send more hurricane funds and aid to Florida and not Missouri. And I know it's kind of an insane example, but it's not wrong. I, and I also think at the end of the day, it makes public health officials think we're dumb. It just seems like you're trying to not be direct with us. And people like being direct, you know. And stepping back to kind of a 30,000-foot view on this, 
This is just a bigger problem in our political climate, and I think it's why we seem to be talking past each other. It's also just bad for public policy, right? Like, how you communicate with the public is equally as important as how you actually implement policies, evaluate them, etc. And you lose confidence from the public when you can't simply use terms that are correct. And I think it tells you about how politically correct society is right now when, you know, public officials in general are afraid of offending communities, so they're walking on eggshells. And at the end of the day, people just want the truth and to be told what to do. And the worst part of it is, you know, even for electability, it makes a lot of people think you're just nuts. Um, probably one of the most important pieces of literature, in my opinion, from the 20th century was Politics and the English Language by George Orwell. And it's only, I think, I want to say it's about 20, 22 pages. I had to read it in my undergrad years. And it's a really, it's a really good piece. I appreciate it more the older I get. But basically, Orwell criticizes the written English of his time and examines the connection between political orthodoxies and basically the debasement of language. And he talks about how language can be used by politicians or opportunists to mean whatever they want it to or have a political meaning and something that maybe isn't what it actually means. And he discusses how if thought can corrupt language, language can also corrupt thought. And I think that's a very powerful idea that language can also corrupt thought because I think that's what's happening in our age right now. And Orwell also argues that everyone should use simple and precise language to define their terms. And I, I think that is absolutely correct. And this piece is relevant to our time because examples of this I can think of are how the left, for example, calls anyone they disagree with a racist or a fascist, or the right calls all Democrats communists. Dem all Democrats are not communists. Most Democrats, almost all Democrats are not communists in the United States. And that shouldn't be a crazy thing to say. Also, just because you disagree with someone does not mean you're a racist or automatically a fascist. And the problem here comes that what do you actually call someone who is a fascist? I think there's fascist tendencies on the rise in the U.S. and a lot of the West. But when I say that, people just shake their heads because the term has completely lost its meaning, right? And that's, I think, part of what Orwell worried about, is how language can be problematic if we let politics and corrupt ideas dominate what they do. Because then it's a full circle. The words lose meaning and they can corrupt you. And people on both sides of the aisle seem unable to use precise language, I guess to put it. And think about homelessness, for example. Now people want to call it the unhoused. Homelessness is, I guess, offensive? I don't know. And do you really think changing the term will do anything to solve the issue when you have people like Trump who just want to send them to camps? No. Homelessness, unhoused, whatever you want to call it, we should not be concerned with the names of things, especially when what we are doing is nothing about the actual issue. I really do think this is a problem more on the left, especially on college campuses, right? They are just so focused on terms, 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 terms. But I think also you can see this on the right. For example, January 6th, right? Some call it a coup attempt, others an insurrection, others a tourist visit, others a tragic day, others a false flag, whatever. No wonder we can't agree on anything is because we're policing terms, right? And, you know, call me a grandpa or a boomer or whatever, but I'm just sick of being corrected on how I said something wrong when the real issues in our country are around inaction. And that's what we seem to keep seeing is inaction just remains constant. And I don't really know if we ever fix this. 
<laughs> you know, just because we we have kind of illiberal tendencies on both sides that seem to be around calling people hyperbolic names or censoring language. So anyways, rant is over here. I just, uh, you know, going back to monkeypox, if it's affecting one community, I think we should make it clear. I don't think it's a stigma either because I think a lot of the gay community would probably just like resources and help. And I obviously, I don't know that community well, but that would just be my, be my opinion on it. So anyways, have a great day. I will be back on Wednesday and uh, stay safe, sane, uh, don't burn up and uh, drink lots of water. Peace.